I hate organized religion. You hear that a lot, don't you? Or you might hear it boil down. I hate religion. For some reason in the church, some have an allergy to organizations. There's an allergy to authority structures these days. Some of that flowing out of postmodernism, and we understand that. But organization is necessary, even for small efforts to come to fruition. But for large efforts to come to fruition, wow, to be accomplished, you must have organization. You see it in the military, you see it all over the place. The business world recognizes the need for organization. I'll give you a quote on that. It says, Properly organizing a company can help streamline operations, improve decision-making, operate in multiple market locations, increase sales and customer service, and boost employee performance and creativity. So it is important that business owners and managers understand the importance and benefits of structure. Well, that's true in the business world. When it comes to religion, though... We think everybody can just kind of fly by the seat of their pants. We can just do our own thing. You know, don't cramp my style. You know, I don't need organization. That's not according to God's word. Many reject organization in the church. I'll give you a quote, just one from that. They prefer free willing, doing their own thing. Here's a quote I picked up. Um, It says, believing in God doesn't mean I believe in religion. That's not true. Maybe for him, but in general, it's not true. And believing in Jesus doesn't mean I believe in the religion of Christianity. There's wires sparking all over the place in this brain. While I accept, I'll often be lumped into these groups because I believe in God and Jesus. I know that I myself don't subscribe to any organized religion. I would say then, therefore, you don't subscribe to Biblical Christianity. Because what we find in Acts is a growing church that has to be growingly organized to be effectively on mission. To love one another the way Jesus loved the church, we must have organization. To be on mission and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, there must be organization. Yes, it's all under Jesus. He is the head of the church. But He organizes his church and uses it to accomplish his purpose. So what we see is a growingly organized church that openly considers itself to be part of the true religion. And we'll talk more about that. But as you know, if you've been in the church very long, things are going well, the gospel's going forth, people are growing in grace, there's going to be trouble. Satan attacks. We've already seen it in Acts. He attacked the church. Uh, the gospel's going forth. The lame beggars healed, so the apostles are arrested and threatened. And he, you see an internal attack when Ananias and Sapphira give in to greed. And God's church discipline of them, they drop dead. You see it again after, after the church is growing more that the apostles are arrested again and the authorities want to kill them. But Gamaliel's wisdom wins the day. They beat them, threaten them, and release them. And we keep seeing these summaries. And at the end of chapter 5, it says, They did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. 
And so when we pick up in Acts chapter 6, we're flowing out of that. And we're going to see, yes, the church is exploding, but problems arise. Don't be surprised by that. Don't go into church planning if you want a problem-free life. And the main point, just, just so you know what I'm shooting at here this morning, I think what we see in this text, proper organization in the church leads to peace and unity with the result of gospel growth. Proper organization in the church leads to peace and unity with the result of gospel growth. So first, look back in verse 1 at the need for organized religion. Yes, I'm poking my finger in the eye. I want, I want you to be set free from that sort of thinking that we don't need and don't want organized religion. The need for organized religion. Look at this, the unintended result in, in verse 1. Now in the days when the, in these days, what days? Well, the days we've been studying through, the days we're reading about, the gospel is going forth in Jerusalem, the church is growing, there are threats, but they're continuing to grow. It says, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The unintended result of growth is often neglect. People fall through the cracks. And if you're one of the ones falling through the cracks, it's not done intentionally. Just a few people or one person or just a few can only do so much. And then when you bring people from different backgrounds together, that brings its own challenges. And we're quick to jump. You see it in the culture these days. We're quick to jump to conclusions. Often wrong conclusions. And that's what's happening here. But this is a very real problem. It's something that needs to be addressed. It is a good thing that they're doing that hasn't been well organized and so it's incomplete. It's not performing the way it should. It's not getting the job done. Now, it says here, the disciples are multiplying and a complaint by the Hellenists. And the Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews. I mean, kind of those from outside of Jerusalem. They, they are, they are Greek-speaking. They have different, uh, a few different customs. They're, they're not thought well of sometimes by the ones, the Hebrew-speaking Jews. There can be suspicion between these camps. And what's happening in the daily distribution, these are just, again, growing pains. They're, they're multiplying. Think of this. Let me pause for a minute. When it says the disciples are multiplying, this is in Jerusalem, which started with 120 people in the upper room. How many people do you think are in the church right now? At least 20,000. Imagine trying to feed all their widows. At least 20,000. That's a conservative number. But they're trying. There, there is a daily distribution. You can see that at the end of verse 1. They're trying to, to do the good thing. They're trying to care because they've come up under the Old Testament. They've seen God's heart for the widows and the orphans and the poor and the needy, the sojourner. And even, even in Old Testament Judaism, there was care for those people. And there were temple funds and temple provisions made available to them. But when they converted to Christianity, no more temple funds, no more temple provision. We have to figure out another way to care for the widows and the orphans and the, the needy in the church. And so they have a daily distribution going on. Literally a daily deaconing 
I mean, I think this is the birth of the office of deacon. These are proto-deacons we're going to talk about. But The daily distribution is taking place. They are seeking to live out the mandate, to care for one another the way Christ has cared for the church. They are in obedience to the Word of God, seeking to care for those who can't care for themselves. But they're not doing a complete job. And for whatever reason, we're not told why, the Hellenists tend to be more neglected than the Hebrew-speaking widows. And that could be language barrier. It could be other social barriers. We don't know. It is a real problem that needs to be addressed. But widows, needy, orphans, people who can't and don't know where their their care is going to come from, are precious in the sight of God. They're precious in the church. And even James, who would be the Lord's brother, who would be a leader in the Jerusalem church, says this in the epistle that he wrote. And here's where I get religion. It's why I'm picking at religion a little bit, just to help you see that. Be careful how you use that word. But James 1.27 says this. Religion. You know what that word means? In original? Religion. Stop saying you hate religion. Say you hate legalism. Say you hate false religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Not just to show up and say, hey, thinking about you. To be caring for them. To visit them with help in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. So notice there is a religion that is pure and undefiled. There is true religion. And what he's talking about is Christianity. And he said one of the aspects, one of the important aspects of pure and undefiled religion is that its heart is outward. That we care for the truly needy. We visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep one's, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And caring for widows, if you look it up in the Bible, you see it mentioned more than one time. And there are directions given, Paul to Timothy and other places, that if a widow doesn't have family, the family as the first people that are supposed to step up and care. Right? But if a widow doesn't have family, if she's a faithful Christian woman who served in the church and she used to be put on what was a list and helped and cared for. So it's not just any widow and we're not just to give aid and assistance to just anybody and we're not to pour most of our money for benevolence out into outside the church. It's for brethren first. I'm not saying we never do mercy ministry outside. But into the extent that it's limited, it's limited out there so that we care for one another. If you do go into church planting or if you're in any sort of church leadership, you will find out that you get calls all the time from people who have the hardest stories who want money from you. And you learn what's really going on by making bad decisions and giving money to people sometimes. And then you find out they were just in it for the money and just taking and bilking the church. You have to be wise. And funds have to be used wisely. I mean, we have a procedure if you want to know. If somebody calls me and asks for help with their electric bill or their money or whatever they have a problem with, 
none of the money that you give just goes willy-nilly out the door to people. What I do tell them is if you if we have money, we're able to help, we focus primarily on our people first. But if you will come and visit the church, if you will allow our deacons to look over your financial situation, we will evaluate your budget and your financial situation, and there may be some ways we can help you. I've only ever had one person show up. Because it's just on to the next number. But widows are important. Widows and orphans, people that can't help themselves are to be cared for. And the church is trying, but they are failing. And we're not given all the information we might want on why they're failing. But we know this, and we'll see from the action taken, part of it is lack of organization. Lack of people over this to make sure it gets done. Not to do all the work, but to be over it and make sure it gets done. Now, there's a failure in the action of the church, but there's a failure in the people of the church. Let me show you that right quick. Where it says a complaint. This is Satan attacking the church through grumbling. There's an ungodly response to a real problem taking place here. There's grumbling flowing from discontent, manifesting itself in gossip, which is a serious sin. If you go look at the sin list that gossip is listed with and you'll find out how serious it is. When it says a complaint arose, it means murmuring or grumbling. The New Living Translation says this is rumblings of discontent. A.T. Robertson says it's secret grumblings that buzz away until they're heard. There's chatter in the background. And it's ungodly chatter because the chatter's not going to the person that or people they have the problem with. We're talking about other people amongst. And we're judging motives and we're judging... Maybe they're saying stuff like, those Hebrews are selfish. They just take care of their own people first. Those Hebrews think we are less valuable. Look, those apostles are terrible. They should be helping us. They don't care about us. If they did, we'd have food every day. The apostles should do everything, including bring grandma her food. Definition of grumbling. To complain about something in a bad-tempered way. I like this one. To mutter in discontent. We often just grumble to ourselves, don't we? I can't believe. We're not encouraging ourselves in the faith. We're not singing like we sang in songs earlier to trust God and know He'll come through even when times get lean. Sometimes we just mutter in traffic or whatever. A need arises or a short a shortcoming. If you're in the church very long, you're going to see shortcomings and you're going to see failure. How do you address that? Do you go other to other people and talk about it? Maybe even in the form of a prayer request? You know, we gossip in prayer requests sometimes. 
There's muttering going on. There's discontent going on. There's distrust going on. There's a real problem that's being handled in an ungodly way. Because grumbling reveals. You wonder why we read Exodus 16. We see God being very gracious with Israel when they were grumbling. And He is very gracious with us. But He wants us to see what a serious sin it is and to repent of it. Grumbling reveals a lack of trust. Maybe in leadership, but ultimately in God. Because He is sovereign. And your situation is exactly what it needs to be for you to grow in grace. And He will come through for you at exactly the right time when you humble yourself. Sometimes when you humble yourself and reach out for help. We're bad about having a need and not telling anybody and then getting mad at people when they don't come through. We don't have crystal balls. If something happens in your life and you go to the hospital and I don't show up or Mike doesn't show up or one of the deacons don't show up, but you never told us about it, But grumbling, don't miss that. In Exodus 16, Kevin read it. Moses said, He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Listen, go back and read. But when I first came to faith, I was a lot harder on Old Testament Israel. (laughs) But every time life got hard, they grumbled. Oh, you just brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us. I wish we were back in Egypt around the meat pots. Well, they forgot about the slavery and the beatings and the killings. They just thought about the meat pots. We need water. No wonder Moses got angry and failed, right? Lord, what have I done to deserve these people? I, I said before, I told Cindy this, when he when he got to look over into the promised land from the top of the mountain but didn't get to go in, I'm not sure he was terribly upset about that. Oh, you mean I don't have to take these people in there? <laughs> take me home, Lord. See, the people weren't thinking the best about Moses. They were grumbling about Moses and grumbling about Aaron and grumbling about the leadership, but their grumbling was flowing from discontent in their situation and it revealed a lack of trust in God and a lack of resting in His sovereignty over your situation and the fact that He's with you. Grumbling does the most harm to, well, to God, but to you. Because you're, you're... Speaking untruths to yourself and making yourself miserable instead of encouraging yourself in the faith. And then you're mad all over everybody around you. We'll talk about how to deal with grumbling more later, but Philippians 2, 14-15 says this, Do everything, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shine when the world... One of the ways we shine is when the world would think we should grumble and we don't. We express faith and trust and patience. Even Jesus didn't grumble when He was on the cross, did He? Being crucified, suffering the wrath of God, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, there's a there there's a complaint rising up. It's literally literally at the Hebrews by the Hellenists. There's a real problem, and this this complaint, instead of it being taken directly straight to the apostles, it has to rise up to them. The grumbling has to reach a certain level before 
they heard about it. But when they heard about it, they took care of it. But look, it makes its way up to the apostles. There are growing pains in the church. There are problems to be solved. God is sufficient. His Word is sufficient. What will happen? Look at the priorities of organized religion. We've seen the need for it. There's problems rising up. Now look at the priorities in in verse 2. The apostles say this. Notice one thing. They didn't ask the congregation what they should do. They're leading, but they're going to involve the congregation in the solution. But there wasn't this ungodly meeting where everybody argued over different options. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been through those. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. That's a big meeting. And they said this, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now that might sound arrogant, but it's not. Christ has commissioned them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to build His church, to focus on preaching and teaching and prayer. So it's not right to neglect the mission to literally deacon tables. There are all sorts of evidences in here why I think this is the first deacons, but anyway. It's not right for us to neglect the calling of God to take care of these administrative details. That's not what He's called us to, but it does need to be taken care of. So they say this, Therefore, brothers or brethren, now here's where they give the congregation some responsibility. The, the, the group of disciples, they say, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And I, th- I heard a man say, and I think he's right, this is one of, one of the church's finest hours. When he gives the congregation the responsibility to select leaders to make sure the widows are fed. Because the Hebrew widows are getting fed and the Hellenist widows are not. Select seven men. This is not sexist. These men are serving the ladies. It's not true that a man can't serve a woman, but these guys are over it. They're seeing to it that it's done. This would involve men and women in the church, actually, and probably the women. Y'all are better cooks than we are to cook the food and deliver the food and just wisdom there. But it says, choose seven qualified men. Again, why I think these are sort of, these are proto-deacons. That's where the office of deacon comes from. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. Look, they're supposed to be Spirit. By the way, side side note. How do you know when somebody's Spirit-filled? Is it because they perform miracles? Or they prophesy things that haven't happened yet. Or they speak in languages you can't understand. No. The primary way you know somebody is filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. That sounds really simple. But if there's no fruit of the Spirit, no matter what else they do, they're not filled with the Spirit. But if they're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, then you know that they are spiritual men. So he is saying, appoint seven men who are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's going to be important, right? 
All of it is. Gentleness. Self-control. Against such there is no law. Gentleness. They're going to have to go into homes where people are going to complain a little bit. Put up deal with that. Not, not. Choose men who are you obviously know they're controlled by the Spirit because they're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And the other thing they said in wisdom. Wisdom knows how to accomplish an end. Knows how to use the best means to accomplish an end. And the end is getting all the widows fed. So you want wise men who will be able to oversee and organize the widow feeding effort so that every widow is taken care of. Faithful men, loving men, joyful men, gentle men. Men who look like Jesus and live like Jesus. So you, you congregation, put them forward. But look at this. The apostles. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. It could say we will continue to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And again, that is elder function in the church. Really, you see, the priest in the Old Testament had the Levites. And you see the, the correspondence. We get over into the New Testament, elders and deacons. And elders are to focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word. Peter even calls himself an elder. They're either proto-elders, first elders, early elders. And these guys are deacons who take care of the administrative stuff to free the, 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 the apostles up. And later, deacons and elders, to free the elders up to focus on their calling. There's a problem in current church culture where you expect what we call the preacher to do everything. Now y'all, I'm not complaining, y'all don't have this affliction. But in a lot of churches, if you're in a hospital, you expect the preacher to come see you. If you have a need, you want to, if your cat's in the tree, you want the preacher to come get it out. But if we're functioning rightly, deacons should be handling a lot of that. I mean, not that the pastor shouldn't visit people at their homes. And yes, we should. But notice they said the proper priority is for the apostles to continue on the calling that they have, and appoint seven men who will make sure this gets taken care of. So the mission, the mission of the gospel to the world, doesn't shouldn't cause us to neglect caring for one another in community. They're both important and they're both provided for in God's wisdom. The apostles will continue to preach and teach and get in trouble and get arrested and all that stuff they're doing. And these men will see to it that community care is taking place in the church. They chose seven whom we will appoint. And look what it says in verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. You ever been in any meetings? That's rare. <laughs> what they said pleased everybody. And so they chose these men. Now look who they chose. You may not be able to see this in English, but these are all Greek names. These are Hellenistic Jews. The apostles proved all the suspicion was wrong about Hebrew superiority because the congregation chose Hellenistic men to oversee the feeding of everybody's widows and the apostles appointed them. See, the only problem was disorganization. It wasn't prejudice. It wasn't anything like that. They just needed more organization and they provided it and the need, the implication is the need was taken care of. But don't miss it. 
Christianity, the pure and undefiled religion, in essence, a religion, under Christ, don't call it anything else, took care of the problem through more organization, not less. They put more people in place with official duties so that they could see to it that the need was met. And they did. And the church will organize further as you keep going in the New Testament. You see every local church. Paul says appoint elders in every local church. And then when you read the epistles, you find elders plural and deacons plural in every local situation. But this is biblical organization. This is godly organization. This is the way God has said to do it in His Word. A church of 20,000 to be well shepherded, well cared for, well eldered and well deaconed needs a lot of organization. And God knows that and He's provided for that. Taking the gospel to the world requires a lot of administration and organization. And God has provided for that. Through, I think, a fairly simple structure. Christ as the head, and every church has elders and deacons, and they work together for mission. But notice that, that the, the church needed more organization, and they, they went by God's priorities so that the apostles kept preaching and teaching and praying, and they... They ordained the, the first or early or deacons, seven of them, and the elders were freed up and the widows were fed and cared for. What is the result? Number three, the result of organized religion or better organized religion. And this is kind of the summary of the focus on the church in Jerusalem. But they did it God's way. And look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number, look at this, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Even more. Way beyond the 20,000. In Jerusalem. And a, look at this. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Imagine that. Priests in the temple became Christians. You know what that required of them? They're probably booted out of their family. They've lost their reputation. They've lost their livelihood. They've left everything they've known to follow Jesus. Great many of them probably became elders in the church. But The word... I think that's an interesting way to put it. The word of God continued to increase, continued to spread. Therefore, the church continued to be built because the church was better organized to handle both the mission and community care according to the word of God. What continued to happen is the gospel continued to go out and God's people continued to be converted. The, what is the gospel? We, we don't ever take things like that for granted. The gospel is Jesus. If you want one word, it's Jesus. It's the good news that God has sent a Savior, the mediator of the covenant, to come and to accomplish the salvation of His people. Jesus came, virgin birth, lived under His own law, 
to glorify the Father, to fulfill the righteousness for his people. And then he took our sin upon himself and he died to pay the penalty of our sin. Not just a physical death, but spiritual death. Hell, eternal separation from God. He took the justice due us on him. He was raised from the grave, proving he is who he said he was. And he offers that salvation to you as a free gift because he has paid for it. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough. You can't give enough. You can't do anything other than repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Forsake hoping in everything else and place your hope in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, whosoever trusts in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul's summary. Christ died for our sins. Why did he die? Why did he come? Why did he live? To save sinners. He had to live to fulfill the law. He had to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And he was raised on the third day. And over and over, Scripture says, on the basis of Jesus, salvation to you is a free gift. Not because of the Bible you read or the church you join, or, but not because you were baptized. You're baptized post-conversion. Read the Scripture. It's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Reformers called justification by faith alone. We turn and we trust in Jesus. Is all of your hope in Jesus for salvation? If your hope is in you, you won't make it. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. But the one who believes on, trusts in Jesus will be saved. Have you turned and trusted in him? Well, that's what the, the message that's going forth. They're preaching Christ. They're preaching him as the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, Old Covenant scriptures. And they're calling people to repentance and faith. Faith in Jesus. And the church is exploding. And it has been enhanced in its mission because the, the, of the extra organization that has taken place to take care of the needs of the people. Growth in the number of disciples, growth in community care. As the church grew, it needed more order and organization to be sure that the mission goes on and the people's needs are met. And they were. We need, in every church, multiple pastors, multiple elders. Praise God, Mike has come on as a pastor. Mike is just as much a pastor as I am in this church we have different roles and function I do more of the preaching but he is just as much a pastor Andrew has come on officially after a long trial of being a deacon's assistant as a deacon and Joel has stepped up as a deacon's assistant and trained so we're growing but we're not where we are people are still going to fall through the cracks so we're still going to have to deal with that so I want to help us do that as I close in a, in a, in a godly way. What, what sort of takeaways do I want to give you other than just recognizing Christianity is a religion. It's to be a pure and undefiled religion that needs organization to flourish and function. God's idea is organized religion, not just any religion, but Christianity, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then the grumbling. Before we leave, I just want to talk about grumbling. I'll confess it. We're quick to grumble. And so most of it is meaningless. I mean, well, it's not meaningless, but it's ultimately grumbling against God when I get very displeased with the traffic I'm in. 
or the job I have or the house I have or the day I'm having or the spouse I have or the children I have or the parents I have. We start grumbling. We're really grumbling against God. So let me just quickly try to help. We're, we're almost done. But when, Jeff, when you see weakness and need, you, when you see weakness and need in the church, in your family, in your workplace, wherever you see it, but especially in the church, when you come across weakness and there's some, some need that's not being met or something you don't think is being done rightly, don't start a community group about it. Okay, that's a gossip group in your city. Deal with it this way. When you see weakness or a problem in the church or wherever else, first step, think the best. Think the best. Give the benefit of the doubt. Remember what you know. Right? God's Word in Philippians 4, and I'm not going there. This is one of the first things we do is we think the best. Think the best. Love believes the best. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Think the best about your leaders. Trying, striving to glorify God, to be on mission, to see that you're cared for. But there are going to be times when things fall through the cracks. Think the best about your spouse. You know what? They're not glorified yet. And God's Word tells us they're the perfect spouse for you. To make you like Jesus. For God to work and chisel away everything in you that doesn't look like Jesus. About your children. They're going to aggravate you sometimes. Are you going about them and on them? Are you going to think the best, take it to God, and seek to glorify Him? So think the best about the people responsible and where the weakness you see. And then pray. Man, if we'll pray before we speak, that means we got to think before we speak. Think the best of others and then pray into the situation. Lord, I know they're trying to do the best they can. Please help them. And help me to help them. But prayer. So think the best and pray. Think about it, the Hellenists. If they had thought the best and prayed, instead of that that had to rise up to the apostles. Thirdly, go directly to the leaders or the person you have the problem with. So you think the best, you pray about the situation, and then you go directly to the person or the people you have the problem with. You might be wrong or they might be wrong. But like I said, don't start a community group about it. Even in your family. And start judging motives and all of that kind of stuff. That's, that's sinful and that's grumbling against God. There are biblical ways to, to handle situations. Like Matthew 18, if they don't listen, you, you take another person and ultimately comes to the church. But think the best, pray about it, go directly to the person you have the problem with. Think about then the Hellenists, if, if one or two of them had recognized the problem and ran directly to the apostles and said, man, I know you guys are busy and doing a great job and the gospel is going forth, but we do have a little problem over here. Aunt Helen and Grandma Susie aren't getting their daily distribution. We don't know why that is. Probably just because, man, all these people keep coming in. But we got a situation over here. How can we help deal with that? 
instead of and listen if you're new to the church we don't have a problem with backing up noise and stuff like that I'm just saying you see it here it helps us we all do it individually we do it most of the time we'll grumble the most against our spouse people we're close to to ourselves and at them think the best pray go directly to them and fourthly be patient and faithful wait on the Lord don't go to them to vent to lovingly express concern, yes. Or to tell them how maybe you've been offended or whatever. So think the best, pray, go directly to the person you have a problem with, and be patient. Give God room to work. Don't expect people to change Jack out of the box. Right? This is really good marriage counseling for you. Make a godly appeal and wait on the Lord. Give, as Cindy says, and I hate, I don't want her praying against me. <laughs> But if you give Jesus room to soften, He kind of handle it better than you. Sometimes when you're chewing on people, you just make it worse and make them more defensive and more resistant. But when you express a godly appeal and then you back off and say, okay, Jesus. Mike's still on. And then here's the last one. Volunteer to help. Think best, pray, go directly to the leaders, be patient, and volunteer to help. Be part of the solution. Don't be a wild match running around lighting fires about it. Striking matches and throwing them. Be part of the solution. You know, some of the Hellenists, maybe some of the women, and some of the, they could have come and said, we've noticed this, this is a problem. They're being neglected over here. I know it's not on purpose. How can I help fix this situation? Because let me tell you something about the deacons, like Andrew and Joel. Joel's deacon in training, but still he's going to find out that's kind of almost just like being one as far as what you get to do. But um, don't expect them to do everything. To do all the emergency meetings. They're not to do that. They're to oversee. They are there to have administrative authority over Mercy ministries to see that it get done. And you know how, what they need to see to it that it gets done? They need you. When, when, when somebody you know has a need and the deacons make, it, make you aware of that, volunteer to be part of that solution. Don't expect them to do it. So when you see a weakness and a problem, think the best. Remind yourself of the blessings of the gospel. Pray into the situation. Go directly to the leaders of the person you have a problem with. Be patient and faithful and wait on the Lord and volunteer to help. And I promise you if you'll handle it that way, God will be glorified. And the church will be benefited and blessed and grow. And listen, I mean, this is down the, down the list. You will be happier. More joyful more content, more at peace without grumbling and complaining and gossip and all of these negative things. Sure, God might take care of it anyway. He did. But just because God is gracious with our grumbling don't mean He approves of it. Continue reading the Old Testament and you see some harsh discipline coming down later as they continue to grumble against the leadership. So, in grumbling, handle it that way and then just submit yourself to God's ordering of things. In the church, He has an organization plan in His Word for the church. God is the source of organized religion. Just get over it. Okay? Elders, deacons, every church, gospel going forth, people being cared for. 
in your life. He's sovereign over your life too. And there's real pain in your life. And people sin against you and hurt you. But He's right there in the midst of that with you. And He's going to cast that in to make you more like Jesus. I know it hurts and it's confusing and we wish it wasn't so. But that's when we trust a bigger mind than ours. See, I don't understand this. I didn't want this. I wish it weren't true. But it didn't catch you by surprise. And it has a purpose in my life to make me like Jesus. So help me to be faithful, to submit to you, to rest in you, to be the blessing I can to those around me. It doesn't make other people sin okay. But without a firm belief in the sovereignty of God, you I don't know how you don't lose your mind. Do you want to be in a world that's out of control and God has no control? I don't. I'm not. You're not either. If you read the Word. And if, you, if, and if you look at His sovereignty in the context of all of His other attributes, His grace, His love, His patience, His faithfulness, His justice, His righteousness, He always does right. Life is bigger than your small situation. Even though every one of your small problems are important to Him. The psalm says He puts all of our tears in a bottle. He remembers every one of our tears. He cashes them in. Christ is making you like Him. God is making you like the Son of God by the Spirit applying the Word of God. He is sovereign over your life. He has got you. So instead of grumbling, remind yourself of the Gospel and cast yourself on your Heavenly Father and respond to the problems in your life in a godly way. So trust and submission will help us as we move forward and seek to grow Grow the church and grow in the organization that is according to his word so that not only would the gospel go forth, but that people will be loved in the process. Because Jesus said by this, look at apologetics. One of the things that confirms our faith is our love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what he went on to say is loving one another the way he has loved us. As his church, we can only do this if we're properly organized according to the word. God is a God of order. And thankfully, he has told us what a well-ordered local church looks like. Let us trust him. Let us fight for unity. Let us think the best. Let us pray hard. Let us be quick to alleviate any problems that pop up. Like the early church, let us keep the gospel at the center as the main thing. And our mission. Jesus loves organized religion. His church. His followers. Pure and undefiled. On mission for him. And sacrificially caring for one another. Let's pray. Lord, it's a big calling. Thank you that it's not just up to this local church to get the gospel out around the world, but we have a part to play and help us to play it well. Locally, regionally, and around the globe, as you see fit for us to be involved in your gospel mission, make it possible. Right here in Swansboro, may the word go forth from us. Here on Sundays and from our lips as we scatter throughout the week. May we also love you by loving one another and caring for one another. So give us the proper biblical organizational structure 
to be able to glorify you on mission, glorify you in community care, be light and salt in this area. Father, I, I just want to confess, and, and I'll confess it for myself and people can enter in if they like, forgive us for our grumbling. Forgive us when we're quick to think the worst. Forgive us when we fail to pray. Forgive us for when we fail to go directly to the person we're concerned about issues with or have a problem with or are offended by. Forgive us for not being ready and willing to be part of the solution and jump in to serve. Forgive us for not trusting your grace and your sovereignty. Forgive us for robbing ourselves of joy through unbelief as we complain and grumble about things. Deliver us from it by your grace and for your glory, according to your word, apply your word to our hearts that we might have joy that lasts through the difficulty, that we might have faith that perseveres, that we would think the best of you and your love because of the cross in Christ, that we would think the best of one another, and that we would be locked arm in arm on mission for you making Jesus famous in this city, in this county, in this state, in this nation, around the world. Sanctify us by your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. Save and sanctify your people, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.